0: Hey y'all. It's the Christmas season, and some of my podcasts and investipods and friends want to bring you a Christmas time collaboration. You'll hear stories told by creators from the following podcasts Deep Dark Secrets, True Crime PI, Extinguished, Crimepedia, Walking the Line, Murder and Mimosas, Crime Over Cocktails, True Crime Authors and Extraordinary People your favorite true crime podcast with Gavin Fish, and me, Richie Buck from Santa May Be a Criminal. I'm going to remind you what I always remind you, but this right here is what we in the biz call a trigger warning. So here goes. This podcast contains talk about criminal activity, including violence and murder. It may include a few cuss words, and it's probably not appropriate for your youngins, so you might want to earmuff them or send them outside to play. Now, before we get started... I want to mention three more things. I know, I know, get to it, Buck, but we Southerners like to talk. First up, any opinions in these stories are solely those of the specific creators presenting the story. Suspects mentioned in these tales are considered innocent unless proven guilty in a court of law, and these are real stories about real people people who experience unimaginable horror and tragedy. The most important thing we can do to honor the victims and the families of these stories is play an active role in our justice system, remain vigilant in our understanding of our surroundings. And support organizations that work to make sure these stories remain the exception and not the rule. And just so you know, some of these stories are going to be long, some of them are going to be short, but you never know what you're going to get until you tune in. Thanks for listening. I often pose the notion that Santa may be a criminal what happens in times when it's not him that brings the Christmas focus on our holiday crime story, but where? That's the kind of story we have today, because today's story takes place in a little Georgia town called Santa Claus. Santa Claus, Georgia is one of a few towns in the U.S. that bear the jolly old elf's name. There are others in states like Indiana, Arizona, Michigan, and California. It's unclear exactly how many towns bear his name, but the common thread that connects them is a perpetual feeling of the Christmas spirit. In fact, Santa Claus, Georgia's town sign bears the quote, The City That Loves Children. The 2020 census marked the population of the Georgia town bearing Santa's name as just 204 people, but at the time of this heinous crime, it was fewer, less than 200. It's the pureness of hope that attracts tourists to these places, like freshly fallen snow. But occasionally, one might find a bit of coal that unwinds the pure beauty of the tiny village that bears the name of the man who brings joy to children around the world. As far as Santa Claus, Georgia is concerned, a quick look at Google Maps reveals that Santa Claus City Hall is at the intersection of Noel Street and December Drive. Nearby, there is Reindeer Street, Slay Street, Candy Cane Street, and just south of all of those is Dasher Street. That's where our unfortunate tale today is centered, on Dasher Street in Santa Claus, Georgia. Because in December of 1997, a madman murdered four people and destroyed the holiday hopefulness for the town on his Santa Claus. Southeast Georgia is a quiet place, particularly in its rural communities, and Santa Claus could certainly be characterized as rural. It's located about an hour and a half from the hostess city of Savannah, Georgia. I grew up in a similar community. On nights in December, you could step outside and hear almost nothing but the cool wind as it brushed the last stubborn leaves clinging to the trees. You could stand there in total peace for minutes before hearing a car on a distant highway. Since Santa Claus had less than 200 residents, I can only imagine that Danny, Kim, and the kids did that many times. In fact, on December 3rd, 1997, I suspect that's how the night started. Happy. Normal. Silent. But the silent night would not remain that way for long. The blast of a semi automatic shotgun would shatter the serenity of the night sky and cut short both the holiday hopes and lives of four members of the Daniels family. In fact, the events that occurred in the early morning hours of December 4th, 1997 would be viewed as incomprehensible in any location, particularly Santa Claus, Georgia. And they would be viewed as incomprehensible to any family, particularly the Daniels. It has long been a trope in true crime media to characterize or remember those lost as having lit up a room. It seems in this case that it could actually be true. Danny and Kim exuded light and hope. They were adored by their family and their community. And from all that I can tell, these were the type of people you wanted to live next door to. They took in troubled kids and tried to help. One such child was a young girl aged 10 by the name of Joanna Mosley. Danny, the family patriarch, was 47 years old and worked for the post office. His beloved Kim was 33 and took great care of the home and the many children that found themselves in the care of the Daniels. You see, Kim had grown up in foster care for most of her childhood. In later years, she leaned into drugs and alcohol to fill whatever was missing in her soul. Because of this, she lost her children, but, as we all know, every day is a chance to turn it all around. Strangely, and in a bit of irony. That quote comes from the 2005 version of the Amityville Horror, an equally brutal story of rage and violence that began while the victim slept. After losing her children to the state, Kim eventually got clean and got them back. There's that light again. While in recovery and attending AA meetings, she met Danny, and the two of them forced a relationship. It was important to Kim to not have children experience the life she had growing up. So, they opened their doors and their hearts, and they helped people. On the night of the crime, Danny and Kim had a full home of seven children. Some of them were their biological kids. Others were foster children. There was 16-year-old Jessica, 10-year-old Amber, eight-year-old Bryant, four-year-old Corey, 10-month-old Gabriel, another of Kim's biological daughters whose name I was unable to locate, and Joanna Mosley. The Daniels treated Joanna as their own, offering a safe place and assistance. They even allowed her older brother to come by and tried to lend him a hand as well. But when rumors that an inappropriate relationship may have been occurring between Joanna's 22-year-old brother and the Daniel's 16-year-old Jessica, Danny did what all fathers do. He protected his family. He sent the young man away. Unfortunately, that decision may have been the impetus for the horrors that came next. The Daniels family no doubt went to bed on the night of December 3rd, expectant of holiday joy as Christmas was fast approaching. Oh, the love they would share around their tree, the surprises that they must have planned for the stockings, the carols they must have wished to sing. But all of that would be shattered by the acts of a madman. That madman, whom I will only name once, and frankly, he doesn't even deserve that, was Joanna's older brother, Jerry Scott Heidler. From now on, I will simply refer to him as the killer. Based on accounts from later court proceedings, from reporting in the Savannah Morning News, the killer got intoxicated while playing pool and stole his neighbor's van. He then drove to the Daniels' home, entering through a window. Knowing where the gun cabinet was, he carved a direct path through the darkened home and removed a Remington semi-automatic shotgun. Because I only want you to have visions of sugar plums dancing in your head on these cold holiday nights, I will spare you the gruesome details they are easy enough to find in the sources I'll include in the episode description. The silent night erupted in gunfire. At the end, the killer had gunned down Danny, Kim, Jessica, the alleged object of his affection, and Bryant, the eight-year-old boy. He then abducted three girls, including his biological sister, Joanna. He left four-year-old Corey and 10-month-old Gabriel behind. Once in the stolen van, he drove to the banks of the Altamaha River, where he then sexually assaulted one of the girls, causing another one to watch. He disposed of the murder weapon in the river and then drove to a nearby town named Alma and left the three girls on the side of a road. Fortunately, a farmer found them soon thereafter, and Joanna, the killer's sister, was able to pinpoint him as the monster. Once their nightmare had been reported, Tombs County Sheriff's Department Deputy Mike Harlan arrived at the doorstep of the Daniels' home, where he found lights on throughout the house. I'll read an excerpt of the excellent reporting done by Leonora bowen Lapeter in the Savannah Morning News to paint the haunting picture of what the deputy found when he responded to this call. He knocked on the front door, which was slightly ajar. No answer. Through a window to the left, he noticed the arm of a small child in a bunk bed. He walked in and announced he was there. He heard a baby crying and a radio playing music. He walked toward the room with a child in it. On the top bunk, he found eight year old Bryant Daniels. I have a small boy myself, Harlan said. At that point, it was pretty obvious that words wouldn't help. Harlan moved through the house, running into four year old Corey Daniels near the dining room table. Harlan knelt down beside the child. Mama and daddy are dead. Brother Guy shot them all, Corey said. A baby continued to cry. The radio, obviously an alarm for early rising postal worker Danny Daniels, continued to play music. Harlan opened the door of the master bedroom. The first thing he noticed was the gun cabinet with several empty slots where the guns had been. Next, he noticed a body up against the door, preventing him from opening it further. Corey showed him another entrance to the room, through a laundry room and a bathroom. Harlan walked into the sunken bedroom and found 10-month-old Gabriel standing between his baby bed and his parents' king size bed, hanging on to the sheets. A real nightmare before Christmas... Thanks to the courage of Joanna Mosley, who identified her brother as the monster, he was tried and convicted of four counts of murder and multiple other charges, including abduction and several charges related to the sexual assault. The motive for the crime, the aforementioned inappropriate relationship with Jessica, came to light during the trial. Once again, in reporting from the Savannah Morning News, testimony from family friend Guy Aaron reads, At times, Kim and Danny felt sorry for him. They were out to help people. He happened to be one of those people. There's that light again. The killer was sentenced to death for these crimes that victimized a city that proclaims to love children, the town known as Santa Claus. When the verdict was read, he wept. It was reported that the jurors took the announcement of sentencing harder when they rendered the guilty verdict. Jury foreman James Burroughs asked to read a statement along with the death sentence. We have shared in this with you, and like you, it has changed our lives forever. Yesterday and today, we held hands and prayed for courage and guidance to do the right thing. The Daniels and their family weren't the only victims of this crime, of course. The killer had family too. An older sister overwrought with emotion stood in the courtroom and begged for her younger brother's life. Kim also had an older daughter, who at the time did not live in the Daniels' home. Seventeen-year-old Brandy Claxton added, The only thing that keeps me sane is that the day before she was murdered, I saw her and said, I love you. God bless the lives of those lost in this horrific crime. Danny Daniels, Kim Daniels, Jessica Daniels, and Bryant Daniels. May their light continue to shine for all the days of the earth and their memory never be forgotten. Sources for this episode include The Savannah Morning News Oxygen.com The Washington Post Cinemaholic and others. Full list in the episode description. Thanks for listening to the second day of Christmas and this Christmastime collaboration. I urge you to listen to all the podcasts that are contributing to this project Deep Dark Secrets True Crime P.I., Extinguished, Crimepedia, Walking the Line, Murder in Mimosas, Crime Over Cocktails, True Crime Authors and Extraordinary People, Your Favorite True Crime Podcast with Gavin Fish, and of course, Santa May Be a Criminal. Now, remember, always, 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 be nice.